Good morning. You guys have energy today? Good? All right. There's, there's going to be a little bit of participation, so I need you guys to liven up, okay? I'm going to ask you guys some questions. I need you to chime in and help me out. All right. So follow me. We've, this is our summer series. We've been going through it for a couple of weeks now. And typically when we hear the phrase, follow me, the scenario that comes to mind is someone telling us, hey, look at what I'm doing and do as I do, right? Or we think about the time that, you know, after church, our, a friend invited us to go eat lunch and you said, hey, I don't, I don't know how to get to that place. And they said, follow me. Now, now this is if you're in cars, right? Because it would be weird if you're just walking and they said, follow me. But, <laughs> but there's another element that is attached to follow me. There's an aspect that we must consider when someone calls us to follow them. For example, how many of you are hardcore, hardcore music fans? So, so much so, wait, listen, listen. So much so that if your favorite band of all time asked you to go on tour with them, backstage access and everything, you would seriously have to consider. Great. It wouldn't bother you one bit that it was the same set every night, right? See, I wouldn't be able to do that. So you guys are hardcore fans. Um, you would be basically in music heaven. I've mentioned to you guys before that I have three older sisters, right? And they all love the music. And I can recall as a kid what their favorite bands were, right? So the, the oldest was a fan of the Puerto Rican uh, boy band or boy group called Menudo. <laughs> Any Menudo fans in the house? I, I didn't think so. Um, the, <laughs> This is the group Ricky Martin got started in. Now, she was a fan, but not a hardcore fan, all right? You guys, though, will be able to relate to my other two sisters, right? They were diehard fans of New Kids on the Block, all right? They had the posters on the wall. They had the puzzles, which they glued together and put it on the wall. They had the keychains. They had the shirts. They knew the steps, right, step by step, the dance moves. They, they, they had it down packed. And their obsession, their, because of their obsession, I can still remember four out of five of their names, right? It was, it was Joey, Jordan, Danny, and Donnie. What was the fifth one? 1030, don't let me down. What was the fifth one? He, he's not important, right? He, he, if we can't remember him, he's not important. But here's the thing. As much as my sisters love New Kids on the Block, they never went to one concert. They never went to one concert. Now, these girls would have went on tour with these guys, but they never went to one concert. Why? What stopped them from going? We were broke, right? They couldn't afford the tickets. My parents wouldn't pay one penny towards them going to a concert. The same goes for you. The reason you would have to give deep thought to joining your favorite band on tour is because of the great cost that it would bring to you relationally, financially, and professionally. Can you imagine just picking up and going for on a three-month tour right now? You, you, you can't do it, right? It's not that easy. You, ha- you would have to think about it. And here's the thing. As I studied for this message, there's one thing that I realized about every instance in the, gospel, in the gospels in which Jesus calls someone to follow him. Here it is. It comes at a great cost to those that decide to answer his call. His call. It comes at a great cost to those who decide to answer his call. When Jesus called Simon Peter and his brother Andrew, they were casting a net into the sea, right? Because they were fishermen. Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And it says that immediately, immediately they left their nets and followed him. 
leaving behind their possessions and possibly the only profession that they ever knew. From there, he went on to call John and his brother James, who also were in the fishing business with his father, with their father. But once they heard the call from Jesus, it says again, immediately they left their father and their boat and followed him. Matthew, who was called by Jesus, left his tax booth, his, his livelihood, where he, where he got his income from. He left it as soon as Jesus followed him. On another occasion, Jesus was told by someone, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus informed this person that there is a cost to following him. He said, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but I don't have a place to lay my head. Are you okay with that? I could give you more and more examples, but you get the point. There is a cost involved with following Jesus. Pastor Ben, two weeks ago, shared a quote by Henry Cloud, and it's going to be on the screen. Life is always about giving up some treasures for others. Life is always about giving up some treasures for others. The passage that we, we are going to read today has a follow me story in it. Okay, Jesus calls a rich young man to follow him while making the cost clear to him. He says, follow me, and he makes the cost completely clear to him. But this story doesn't end like the others I just described, who immediately left everything. In fact, we will see that this young man walks away from Jesus. It says sad. He walked away sad. He was torn because he was unwilling to part with his treasure in order to follow him, who is the ultimate treasure. So let's dive in. Let's see what this passage has to tell us today. If it's going to be in Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 27. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand. One of our volunteers will come around with a, with a Bible. And if you grab one of those epic Bibles, it's on page 549. Once you have it, if you could please stand as we read God's word. Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 27. And it reads, And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And the young man said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, These hard words, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Now, by the real quick note, by the kingdom of God, what he's referring to is being under God's rule and in good standing with God. Okay, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. We're going to see that phrase over and over again. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God. 
for all things are possible with God. You may be seated. I pray that God's word will speak to us today. All right, let's talk about this young guy, right, that approached Jesus. It's clear from the scriptures that what? He was rich, right? It's, it, it's point blank. It's telling us that he was rich. He had a lot of money. He had a lot of possessions. This story that we just read in Mark also appears in the Gospels of Matthew and Luke. Luke gives us an added detail that this young man was also a ruler, right? And then in Matthew, that's where we find out that he was young. So hence the, the title that this young man has received uh, throughout history, the story of the rich young ruler. But on top of all that, this young man was also righteous, right? It says that he tried to do his best at obeying the law of God. He had the full package, rich, young, a ruler, and righteous. Ladies, this is the kind of guy that you want to bring home to your parents, right? Or, or for us married people, right? That this, this is the kind of guy we're always trying to set up our single friends with, right? We, 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 we tell them, it doesn't matter if he's good looking or not, right? We say, girl, you got to meet this guy. He, he's rich and he's nice. You, you say the nice part because you don't want him to think it's all about the money, right? He's rich and he's nice. But here's a question that we need to address. And I've got three questions to kind of structure this message today. Here's the first. Why does Jesus say that it is difficult for a guy like this, for the rich, to enter the kingdom of God? Why does Jesus say it is difficult for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Now, the common assumption of the time was that the rich had God's special favor. How else could they be rich, right? Since supposedly God himself is the one who gives the ability to become rich. And that comes from a passage in Deuteronomy 8. God is the one who gives the ability to become rich. They had this assumption that the rich were favored by God. And, we, and we, we have that same assumptions many times. We do the same thing. We associate wealth and possessions with God's blessings. Just look on Facebook, right? And you'll see a bunch of pictures of people's new houses and new cars with the comment, thank you, God. Right? It's this association between the two. So when we see the rich who can have any car that they want, who can have any house that they want, we think, man, God favors them. God favors them. And even if, even if in our hearts and in our mind we know that that's not true, some of us still believe that if God loved us, he would give us more money. Or he would let us win the lotto. Or he would let our mom win the lotto since we don't play, right? Whatever the case may be. But here's what we need to see. This young man loved his wealth more than he loved God. When faced with the option of continuing to run his business or to serve God, he chose his riches. Jesus then mentions to his disciples how hard it was for the rich to put themselves under God's rule to enter the kingdom. But because of that assumption again, that wealth meant God's favor, they were stunned, it says. They were stunned that he would make such a comment. Jesus saw the shock in their face, right? So he went on to explain, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. They're like, Jesus, that didn't help at all with the explanation. But at this point, here's what we need to, we need to make note of. Hear what Jesus did not say. He did not say that the rich cannot enter the kingdom. 
He didn't say that. He didn't say that the rich cannot enter the kingdom. Nor did he say that the poor have any advantage over the rich in regards to entering the kingdom. Here's what Jesus is trying to do by, by, by highlighting this point of the difficulty for the rich to enter the kingdom. This is what he's trying to do. Through the example of the rich young ruler, Jesus upset the prevailing assumption about God and riches. Just because someone is rich doesn't mean they are favored by God. For how, listen closely, for how could God favor a person, however rich, who loves him less than wealth? How could God favor any person who loves him less than wealth? And this goes beyond money. How can God favor anyone, any one of us, who loves someone or something more than they love God? No one, no one, hear me closely, no one receives automatic entry into God's kingdom. Because none of us are worthy of it. So this is the reality. Not only is it difficult for the rich young ruler, or the rich old doctor, or the rich middle-aged lawyer. It's difficult for the stay-at-home mom. It's difficult for the engineer fresh out of college. It's difficult for the homeless. It's difficult for the middle-income family. It's difficult for every single one of us. So that leads us to our next question, though. If it's difficult for all of us... We need to ask the same question that the disciples are asking, right, to Jesus. Then who can be saved? Then who can be saved or who can enter the kingdom of God? I believe that question excited Jesus. There were times when people would ask Jesus questions and he would, he would, they were just trying to trap him. And he would just ignore them. He wouldn't answer the question. But he was eager to answer this question. Because it allowed him to remove the spotlight from the non-essentials. The focus is no longer on the rich young ruler or on what he accomplished. And same goes for us. It's not about what we achieve or how good we are. The focus has to be squarely on the one that it deserves to be on. He says, what is impossible for man is possible for God. What you can't do for yourself, I can do for you. It is difficult for you to enter the kingdom on your own efforts. But through me, you can enter. This young man, think about, I want you to think about, this young man came to Jesus in distress. But think about this young man's situation. He was rich. He was young. He was morally right. He had the full package, but yet deep within him, he was in anguish. He was in anguish. Things weren't clicking. Something wasn't sitting right. And, and, and Mark describes this young man approaching Jesus, not just in a casual way. No, no, no. It, it says that he ran up to Jesus. He ran up to Jesus and he knelt before him and he said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He was, his, soul, his soul was so broken, he lacked peace. The money wasn't doing it for him. The rulership wasn't doing it for him. There has to be something else, he thought. And he asked the question, what must I do? Listen, if there's something that is condemned repeatedly throughout the New Testament, that would be a works-based salvation, meaning people who try to rescue themselves, people who try and strive to gain heaven with their own efforts. It is constantly condemned. It is constantly corrected. 
And Jesus' most hostile relationship was with the Pharisees, a group that relied on their observance of the law more than they relied on the grace of God. Their identity was rooted in following every detail of the law. So this rich young man probably felt like, man, I'm doing everything possible, but there's probably one law that I'm breaking. There's probably one thing that I'm not doing. He says, I'm doing all the major ones you just mentioned, Jesus. Is there anything else? Is there anything else that I can do? But listen, Jesus doesn't add to the young man's list of things to do. He doesn't add to the list. He, he just clears the list completely off the table. At, at first glance, it, just, it seems like he's just giving him one more thing, right? Like, hey, sell everything. Then you will be able to enter. No, 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 no. He's, he's not telling him you lack one more thing. But he's telling him you lack the only thing. The only thing that is important. The only thing that you need, that is what you lack. And this is what it is. Making me your treasure. Making me your priority. Making me your center. You don't lack one more thing. You lack the only thing that is important. So here's the third question for today's message. And I just gave you the simple answer. What can we do to ensure that we don't walk away from Jesus? What can we do to ensure that we don't walk away from Jesus? And the simple answer I just gave to you. We make Christ our treasure. But let's look deeper at this. After Jesus told the young man to sell his possessions and to follow him, it says that he went away sorrowful. He went away sad. He went away grieved. This is what happens when we come to Jesus on our own terms. This is what happens when we come to Jesus on our own terms. Remember, what what is the title of the series? Follow me, right? Follow Jesus. We're not asking Jesus to follow us. We're not telling Jesus, hey, come follow me. He's telling us we need to follow him. So we have to decide, are we going to do it God's way or our way? And here's the thing. And whatever you value most, when having to choose between the thing, that thing, and something else, even if it is God, you will always submit to what you treasure most. Whatever you value most, when you have to make a choice, between that which you treasure most or you value most, and you have to make a choice between that and something else, even if it is God, you will always submit to what you treasure most. Your actions will always show who your master truly is. Your actions show who your master truly is. Let me, let me give you an example, but at a much smaller scale, okay? I have two boys, right? Honor and Noble. These two boys have shown me that everything has a value. With Noble, the 13-month-old, it's food-related, right? He's a chunky little baby that just loves to eat, right? And if, if you put bread on Noble's dish, it doesn't matter what else is on that dish. He will eat every single piece of bread and before he touches anything else. He loves bread, just like his dad. He will eat every single piece of bread before he touches anything else. doesn't matter what else is on the, on, the, on, the, on the table, on the dish. Same thing for Honor, our four-year-old. If you tell Honor, hey, you can only bring one toy in the car, Honor will always pick the Lego set that he's currently working on. He just loves Legos. If you tell Honor, Honor, you can only have one dessert, and on that list is gummy worms, 
Consider it done. The decision has been made for him. And that's how it is when we value something. Everything submits to it. So what is it that you value most? What is your treasure? Here's how it plays out in our walk with God or as we seek to follow God. Listen, we we can't trust Christ with our money, right? By being generous and giving 10% of our income to the local church because our value for money has a greater influence, right? We, We can't obey Christ in regards to purity because the desire for sexual pleasure outside of God's parameters overpowers our desire to obey him. We can't take the next step of faith, which for many of us is baptism, because our fear of man is greater than our commitment to God. So we make excuses, right? We make excuses why we don't follow Christ in those areas. Now, in your mind, they may be valid reasons, and and that's great. But whatever the case may be, we are essentially saying that something else has a greater priority than God's word. Our actions will always show who is our master. I don't want this just to be a lecture, right, of, of, I really believe that there is nothing greater than following Christ. It is the reality I live in. It is, I know what it is to be rescued, to be lost and then found. And the deeper you go in Christianity, the clearer you see Jesus for who he really is. I believe two things become very apparent to each and every single one of us when we go deeper. The first thing, God demands more than you ever imagined. I'm not saying the church demands more. I'm not saying the pastor demands more. No, I'm saying God demands more than you ever imagined. But in just the same way, the second thing is true. He offers more than you ever imagined. He offers you more than you ever imagined. Listen, there is nothing greater, nothing greater than life in God's kingdom. Many times we are unwilling to give things up because the value we have attached to it far outweighs what we believe God offers. But it's just not the case. Listen, the life, the peace that this young man was seeking was available to him. He was seeking something. You see it in the scriptures when you read it. He ran and he knelt before him and he was in anguish. What he was seeking was available to him right before him. If he only surrendered. But you may say, hold on, Will. But he had to sell everything. Listen, the treasures we hold on to will never give us what we need or what our soul truly longs for. The money won't do it. The relationship won't do it. Whatever it is, the career, the profession, the success, it won't do it. It it won't. It doesn't do it. The call, the call that we receive from Jesus is one of total abandonment and surrender. Hear what he tells his disciples in Matthew 16, 24 about those who will follow him. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. 
We are called to give up one treasure, right? Whatever it might be, we're called to say, we're called to deny it completely. We're called to deny ourselves, whatever that treasure may be, so that we may go after Jesus, so that we may follow Jesus, the ultimate treasure. How do we do that? Is that even possible? We have to be able to say, like Paul, Philippians 3.8, I count everything. I count every single thing as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I count everything as loss. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. I count it all as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. I think John Piper gives us uh, some practical terms of what it means to count everything as lost. And there's, a, there's just so much in here, but this is the practical side of this message. And if you could just take one or two of these things and just let us sink in. And you have to do something. You can't just think that you come into a, to a church and, and the word is, is preached and, and boom, you're transformed. You, you have to go and put effort into, into talking this out with God and saying, God, I'm not there. If you ask me to give everything, I'm, I'm probably not there. But I want to be there. I, and I think this young man wanted to be there, but he wasn't there. He wasn't willing to give up that treasure, his money, his wealth. In order to follow Christ. So here here are the things that I think are really helpful. And they come from John Piper. The first one. Renouncing all. Counting all as laws. Means that if we must choose between, between Christ and anything else. We will choose Christ. If we must choose between Christ and anything else, we will choose Christ. What does that mean? It it means that even though God doesn't bring us to the crisis, right, of either or or all or nothing at every point, nevertheless, nevertheless, we are ready and have resolved in our hearts that if the choice must be made, we will choose Christ. The second thing, renouncing all, counting all as lost, means that we will deal with everything in ways that draw us nearer to Christ so that we may gain more of Christ and enjoy more of him by the way we, we relate to everything. That means we will embrace everything pleasant by being thankful to Christ, and we will endure everything hurtful by being patient through Christ. The third one, renouncing all, counting all as loss, means that we will seek to deal with the things of this world in ways that show that they are not our treasure, but rather that Christ is our treasure. That is, we will hold things loosely, we will share things generously, and ascribe value to things in relation to Christ. Christ being the priority and everything else submitting to that. And the last one, renouncing all, counting all as lost, means that if we lose any or all things this world can offer, We will not lose our joy or our treasure or our life because Christ is our joy and our treasure and our life. That is, in smaller losses, we will not grumble. And in greater losses, we will grieve, but not as those who have not hope. We will grieve, but not as those who have not hope. 
Life is about giving up one treasure for another. My prayer, my challenge is that you will choose Christ. Let's pray. God, I I thank you for your great love. I thank you that the, uh, uh, about the call that you give us to follow after you, Lord. And I pray that we will be willing to count everything as lost in order to follow after you, Lord. Jesus, you came preaching, right? Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. That wasn't a call uh, in order to make us feel bad. That wasn't a call to bring gloom and doom or anything like that. You wanted us to realize, hey, don't miss out on God's kingdom. Don't miss out on what God is doing. Turn from your ways and follow Jesus. And I pray that we will all respond to that call. That even though you don't call us to an either or or all or nothing situation every time. But if given the opportunity, we will choose you. We pray that that will be so in Jesus name. Amen.